At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. This morning is my honor to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. Uh, welcome to week two of Covenant. Uh, we, last week, we began this series. Uh, this is our covenant membership and covenant renewal process uh, that we began last week, and this is the second week uh, of that process. What in the world is a covenant membership and renewal process? Well, here is what it is, a covenant membership and renewal process. Is a formal process where you make or renew your promises to engage in the life of the church, and the elders make or renew their promise to shepherd you. This is something that not only are you saying, yes, I want to be a member, or yes, I want to continue to be a member uh, from you to the church, but this is the church renewing its covenant or its promise to you to love you, to serve you, to shepherd you, to do the things that the scripture requires us as pastors to do for you. This is us making that promise back to you as you make that uh, promise to us. We're, we're doing this for uh, several different reasons, and we've gone over these reasons before, and I'm not going to belabor them, but I do just want to continue to put these reasons out before you of why we're doing a formal covenant membership and renewal process. First, uh, we have new faces here, and we want you to have an opportunity to join the church. So what's interesting about this series is that what we're doing is we're telling you who we are. This is who we are. This is what we believe. This is where we're going. And so it's going to allow you, if you're new, to get an understanding of who we are as a church. Uh, if, if you've been here for a while, it's going to remind you of who we are as a church. And so uh, that's one of the reasons. Another reason that we're doing this, this series is this. The pastors need to know who they are responsible to shepherd. The pastors are responsible to shepherd. The pastors of this church will one day stand before God and give an account for how we led you, for how we loved you, for how we served you, and we take that very, very seriously here. And so we need to know who we're responsible for. I think it's terrible that so many churches have a membership role of 300, yet there's 100 actually engaging in the life of the church. What needs to happen is that that membership role needs to be tightened up so that the pastors know who they're responsible uh, to shepherd. Third, it reminds our members of why they have come into covenant membership with Gospel Community Church. Again, we're going to be telling you, hey, here's our vision. We did that last week. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about what we value. This week, we're going to just restate what, here's what we believe as a church. Here's our statement of faith. And so it reminds you of who we are uniquely uh, as a church. Fourth, it gives members an opportunity to speak up or ask questions they ordinarily wouldn't bring up. So here's how this process is going to work. Next week, there's going to be a form available online on our website, and you'll have an opportunity to select one of four options. Option one is, uh, I am ready to re-sign my covenant. I've been a member here. I believe in the church, believe in the leadership. I want to re-sign my covenant, no questions asked. Okay. Secondly, you'll have an opportunity to select, I'm new here, I'm not a member, but I'd love to be a member. What's going to happen then is you get an opportunity to, to sit down with the elders. We're going to talk, we're going to ask you questions. Uh, you, you'll get to ask any questions you want, and then you can come into membership. Third, if you're already a member, yet you have questions, concerns, you, maybe you think, hey, we're doing this as a church and we need to quit. 
or uh, we need to be doing this as a church and we're not. And so I've got questions about this or that. Great. We would love to hear from you. I think what happens so often is members might have questions or concerns, and there's not really a clear avenue for them to voice those questions or concerns. And this is that. This is that avenue. So if you've been here for a while, you're a church member, you've been here for a long time, yet you want to meet with the elders before you re-sign your covenant, we are open to that. We want to hear from you, hear what's going on. The fourth option that you'll be able to select is, I no longer want to be a member of Gospel Community Church. Last week, we discussed some good reasons for leaving a church, some biblical, healthy uh, reasons for leaving a church, and we also know there are some illegitimate or bad reasons uh, to, to leave a church. And so in any event, if that's you if, you, if you've been a member here and you no longer want to be a member, please meet with us. Don't just disappear. That's the easy thing to do. Meet with us and talk with us. We want to hear from you uh, on that. On the other side of this whole thing, so, so again, th- this, is, this is the big idea. This is the goal of why we're doing a covenant membership and renewal process. Here it is. On the other side of our covenant member and renewal process, we hope to be more unified under the banner of Jesus and therefore a healthier church that will bring more glory to God. As, as we unify and say, yes, this is, this is GCC. This is who we are. This is the people that, that we are committed to. You're committed to each other. The pastors are committed to you. We're united under the banner of the gospel. What does that do to our church? Well, it, it makes us healthy. It makes us a healthy, thriving church because we're all moving in the same direction. We're all agreeing. We're all going down the same path. And that will bring more glory to God as we show a divided world. Are we living in a divided world right now? As we show a divided world of people that that are coming from different backgrounds and different economic places and and different races, as we're showing the world that these people have united, why are these people loving each other? Why are these people acting this way towards one another? It's because Jesus has first loved us, and we get to show a lost and dying world what a united body gathered together under the gospel looks like. And so that's what we're excited for, and this is what we want to do. Okay, so I have uh, basically two tasks this morning that, that I need to complete. The, the first one is this. I want to look at this text that we just read from Ephesians. And I want to talk about why a statement of faith, a robust statement of faith that is, is so incredibly vital to a church. And then we're going to go line by line through our statement of faith. Okay, so those are our two tasks. We're going to look at Ephesians Secondly, we're going to go through our statement of faith line by line. It is so incredibly important for a church to have a robust statement of faith. That is a clear, that is a defined, that is this is what we believe. Now, now you, you, can, you can kind of go overboard on this. You, you can say, okay, well, what, what does your church believe? Well, we believe the Bible. Okay, great. What, what about the Bible do you believe? Do you see what I'm saying? It, it's got to be clear and it's got to be robust, but at some point you got to draw the line somewhere. It, so so here's, here's me. When I go to a church website because I'm a theology nerd and I'm like, this is how my brain is wired. The first thing I always do anytime I go to any church's website what do we believe? I click that button. I click that button, and I'm going to read everything because I want to see where this church is at, where they're going. I think it's so sad when sometimes the church is, what do we believe? It says, you know, we believe Jesus. We believe the Bible. We, okay, that, that's good. We, we believe Jesus. But, but again, the question should be, what about Jesus do you believe? 
That's the deeper question. Uh, Mormons believe in Jesus. Islam believes in Jesus. Jehovah's Witness believe in Jesus. What about Jesus do you believe? This is why it's important for a church to have a robust, clear statement of faith. Here's why. Because theology matters. Okay? Theology matters. Everybody say, theology matters. Theology matters. Here's why theology matters. If you're taking notes, what you believe about God determines how you live. This is why theology matters. This, this is for everybody, for Christians, for atheists, for agnostics, for Presbyterians, for Baptists, for Catholics. What you believe about God determines how you live. Because if you're an atheist, what do you believe about God? Well, you believe that he doesn't exist, and therefore you become a law unto yourself. That's how you live. Um, if, if you believe that God uh, is not good, if you believe that God has slighted you or, or come after you, then, then uh, you, you'll live this way. Well, I'll show you, God. You ever lived that way before? I'll, I'll show you, God. Oh, oh you, you. So, so we know people like that. Not, not anybody in this room, but we know people like that. So what you believe about God, if you believe God is loving and just, and if you believe that God sent his son Jesus to die for you in your place for your sins, if you believe that God takes even suffering and pain and cancer and death, if you believe that God uses all of that for your good, you will live a hope-filled life, will you not? You will, because what you believe about God determines how you live. Here's another way to say it. Behavior is born from what you believe. Behavior is born from what you believe. And if that is true in the life of an individual, it is certainly true in the life of a church. Amen? So, so if what we believe kind of determines what we do and how we live, if that's true for an individual, it's absolutely true in the life of a church, which again is the reason that every church needs a good and robust, clear statement of faith. If you're taking notes, a robust statement of faith is vital to the church because clearly defined doctrine in a church promotes corporate maturity and unity in Christ. As, as you lay out these theological principles and doctrines of what we believe about the fall of man, what we believe about salvation, what we believe about the church, it, it, and, and, and it's clear and it's robust, what that does is it takes the maturity of the entire congregation up to another level. Again, because it's not a flabby, unclear statement of faith, it is a clearly defined, here's what we believe about these doctrinal principles, and here's how we're going to walk that out. It takes the, the corporate maturity of the church up a level in in addition, if we're all agreeing on the same statement of faith, then we're all more unified in the gospel and we're moving forward together. Amen? This, so, so look, look if, you, if you hadn't picked this up yet, I get fired up about statements of faith, okay? I, I'm fired up about this. I'm I, like, some of y'all are like, can we move this along? This is where I'm like, let's not move this along. Let's, let's just hang out right here in the, these statements of faith uh, because they are so vital and important to the church. Let's look at our text in uh, Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to start in, in verse 11. It says this, and he, pause right there, that, that he is Jesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, the, the context is um, Jesus has given these offices. Who, who does he give them to? It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. He gave those offices to the church. Why did he give those offices to the church? 
to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, I would love to spend a lot of time about how all of these offices are different, the difference between the office of an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, and shepherd teachers, shepherds and teachers, but I want to talk about why they're the same. Here's why all of these offices, apostle, think about this, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, or shepherd teachers, all of those offices are the same because they deal in the communication of the word of God to the people of God. All of them, all those offices right there, a huge part of that office is to communicate the word of God to the people of God or to clearly define true doctrine or right theology or orthodoxy that, that works itself then into orthopraxy. That, that is what all of these offices essentially do. And so as these apostles, prophets, shepherds, and teachers are communicating true doctrine, the result is this. Did you see the result in, in verse 12? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's y'all. That's you. So, so sadly, 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 so many churches operate like a bus with a whole bunch of backseat drivers. Here's what I mean. The pastor's in the driver's seat. He's got the wheel. He's got to work the, the brake and the pedals and the things, and, the, and the, he's got to do the turn. So he's doing all the work, and the bus is filled with all the church members sitting in the back going, hey, turn right. No, don't go that way. No, don't tell him to turn right. Tell him to turn left. No, you tell him. Hey, don't go, go this way. Instead of, instead of the church being in it together, we expect because the pastor's paid, he does all the work. No, no, no. This says... What the pastor does is he deals in doctrine and truth and teaching and communicating God's word. And what that does is it wells up in you to get involved in the ministry of the church. Did you know you've been called to full-time ministry? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, this passage right here says that you have been called into full-time ministry as the pastors minister the word to you. If you're taking notes, if the pastors make themselves crucial in every ministry or project in the church, then the church will only be able to grow as far as the pastors can stretch. Oh, my wife said amen, y'all. She, she said, she said well, preach glory to God. So, so here's what needs to happen in the life of the church. In the life of the church, the pastors need to focus on preaching, teaching, the, the, the overall organization of, of the church as the congregation comes together to do the work of the ministry, the on-the-ground, hands-on work. That doesn't mean pastors don't get their hands dirty. Of course they do. But, but the, the people of the church are engaging in the life of the church, carrying out ministries in the church. And it takes people that are passionate about these specific areas to dive in and begin to do that work. I, the, the pastors of the church cannot be involved at every level. It's just not possible. And when we are, uh, we get stretched way too thin. People expect way too much. And the pastor burns out and he usually disqualifies himself. And, th and then the church is done. And so what must happen is we must have a clear defined doctrinal statement that is, that is robust, that inspires in the people to get involved in the work of the ministry so the church is healthy and thriving. Gospel Community Church, I, you know what? I would love to see a, a, a ministry formed in this church specifically about adoption. 
Uh, I, I would love to see a, a ministry form that, that just begins to focus on how can we raise funds to help people adopt more? What, what about, I would love to see the, a, a ministry in this church, a, a, a robust, beautiful pro-life movement in this church that I would love to see that. And here's what, here's what has to happen in order to make that a reality. We need passionate members of this church that will get involved and do the work of the ministry. Okay, um, so he, I, I got to move on. Y'all got me preaching. I got other stuff to do. Here we go. Verse 13, it says this, until we attain the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, so as the pastors, the, the, the prophets, these, these people in the church that are ministering the word, the people in the church that are stirred up and matured up in the word begin to engage in the life of the church and ministry. How long does that go on? At what point does it stop? Well, it stops until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's when we stop maturing. That's when we stop engaging in the life of the church. When is that? Well, we're only going to be fully mature up to the full stature of Jesus Christ when he returns and makes everything new again. That's, that's when we stop growing. That's when we stop maturing. That's when we disengage from the life of, of the church that's here on this earth now. Then we'll be a part of the church in the new heavens and the new earth. When Jesus returns, verse 14, so that we may no longer be little children. This verse is telling you to grow up, get, get mature in the word. And, and a part of getting mature in the word is being a part of a church that has a robust statement of faith that is preaching and teaching God's word. That, that's a part of, of maturity. So, so he says, no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cutting, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is why it's important for a church to have a robust statement of faith so that we all know what we believe about the Bible. We all know what we believe about Jesus so that we are united and we're maturing together. This is what this text is telling us. Verse 15 and 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together. If you are unsure that you should be a member of a local church somewhere, read that again. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, which is it equipped when each part is working properly. This is a call for you to be a member of a local church, engaged in the life of that church, using the gifts that God has given you to do the work of the kingdom. That's what this verse is telling you to do. Working properly makes the whole body so that it builds itself up in love. This is a beautiful vision of the church. This is what the church is supposed to be. Pastors, preachers, and teachers communicating the word of God to the people of God, that welling up in them a desire to engage in the life of the church, to do the work of the ministry. And as all of that is going on, the people are being matured up, up, up into the image and the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. This is the vision of the church at the heart, at the very center, is these offices of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. It, it inspires the people to serve one another. The result is that they mature, they become more like Jesus, they're, they're able to spot bad doctrine 
and everyone is built up in love. Where do we begin such a lofty vision as this, is, is what Ephesians lays out for us? Well, we begin, we begin heading in that direction by having a robust statement of faith. Okay, here's what we must do now. Uh, that, that's me done with Ephesians. So if you would go ahead and get out your packets, the, the new members class packets should be scattered throughout the auditorium. Uh, if not, you can go to gospelcc.com. There's a button there that says new members packet. Just click on that. So if you're joining us online, go ahead and do that. You can either open up another browser window or just pull out another device and go to gospelcc.com. Click the button that says new members packet because <clears throat> we're gonna be going through this statement of faith line by line. <clears throat> now, a couple of things that you need to know. First thing that you need to know about our statement of faith is this. Our statement of faith has in it what we called close-handed issues. Our packet does not have, or our statement of faith does not contain what we consider open-handed issues. Let me explain that. We say close-handed issues. We mean issues within our church that are not up for debate. Meaning this, uh, we believe in the Trinity. We believe that Jesus is fully God. Uh, those things are not, up. We, we believe in the inerrancy of scripture. So in order to be a member of Gospel Community Church, you have to believe those things. If you don't believe those things, you probably shouldn't be a member here. What we have in our statement of faith is, again, what we consider closed-handed issues, issues that are not up for debate. What's not in the packet is what we consider open-handed issues. Issues that are open for debate among Christians. Okay, so uh, who has heard of the old earth, new earth debate? Okay, three people. Very good. Um, so so, so uh, 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 how, how about this? Six literal day creation or uh, creation over a long period of time. Who's heard that? Okay, more people. That, that's what I mean, old earth, new earth debate. Well, that's not in our packet. That's an open-handed issue. If you believe there's a, there, there was a literal six-day creation, great. If you don't, great. That, to us, that's not a main thing, okay? So, so whichever side of that debate you land on, th that's not a main thing for us. So what we try to do is we try to keep the main things, the plain things, and the plain things, the main things. That's, that's kind of how we operate. So what's in our packet is, or what's in our statement of faith is, our close-handed issues, and we've left out issues uh, that are open-handed, like uh, what, what, where do you land in eschatology? Are you pre-millennial, post-millennial, believe in the seven years of tribulation before the rapture? Where are you at on all that stuff? That's not in our packet. You're not going to find it, uh, be, again, because we believe that is open for debate among Christians. Now, you should have a position on those things. Uh, but it's open for debate among Christians. Here's the second thing that you need to know. By coming into covenant membership, you are, signing, or you are aligning yourself with these doctrinal statements. So if, if you want to flip over to the covenant real quick and peek, or you don't have to, I'll tell you what it says. If you flip over to the covenant real quick and peek, you'll see that by signing our covenant, what you're saying is, I agree with that doctrinal statement. I, I'm I've read it, looked at it, heard it, and I'm going, yep, I agree. I think that's what the Bible says. So that's important to know as we look through this statement. Are you all ready to go? I'm, I'm ready to look at it. <clears throat> Here we go. Let's begin with the Godhead. I won't be able to kind of give colorful commentary on every single line in here, uh, but I will try to talk about it a little bit just for the sake of time. We believe in one God who eternally existed as three persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. They are separate, yet one in essence or nature. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, yet each is truly deity. 
He is self-existent, meaning nothing created him. God always existed, not standing in need of anything. He is the creator of everything, all-knowing, all-powerful, totally righteous and good, and tremendously gracious and merciful. We believe in the Trinitarian Godhead. It is so incredibly important to maintain uh, a, a, a clear view of the Trinity. If God is not distinct yet one, we don't have the gospel. What do you mean? Well, uh, God the Father didn't die on the cross. The Holy Spirit didn't. The Son died on the cross, and the Father poured out the wrath that should have come to us onto the Son. If they are not distinct, then we lose the gospel. Yet, the Bible clearly, repeatedly tells us that God is one. So we believe in the Trinity. Again, think back, to, uh, think back to the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus comes up out of the water. You have Jesus there. Uh, you, you have the, the dove coming down, the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove, and then the voice of the Father from heaven, which says, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. You see the distinctness there between the three, yet the unity because they are one. What do we believe about the Bible? Well, we believe the Bible consisting of 66 books of Old and New Testament was verbally inspired by God and errant in its original writings. It is the supreme authority in all matters of truth and even in matters not addressed in the Bible. We still assess what is right by criteria consistent with the Bible. It is complete, meaning the canon is not to be added to or changed. All scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction and for training in righteousness. We believe that the meaning of the biblical text is fixed and unchangeable. That's important. We believe the meaning of the biblical text is fixed and unchangeable, but that the meaning can have many applications. While understanding scripture can be a difficult task, knowledge is attainable through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Why do we preach through books of the Bible at this church? Because of that statement of faith right there. Do you see how what we believe about the Bible translates into the life of our church? We believe the Bible is in there. We believe all of it is useful for, for training. For that, that, that's why we just pick a book. All right, here we go. You know, we, we've gotten to some, who was here when we preached through Daniel? I mean, that, who was here when we preached through Judges? I mean, we got into some texts that were very strange, yet because we believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God, all Scripture is useful for teaching, for training, and reproof, we preach through books of the Bible because what we believe about the Bible. God the Father. <clears throat> God the Father is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the first member of the Trinity by his word and for his glory. He freely and supernaturally created the world out of nothing. Those the same word he daily sustain uh, through the same word he daily sustains all his creatures he rules over all and together with his son and the spirit is the only sovereign his plans and purposes cannot be thwarted he is faithful to every promise works all things together for the good of those who love him in his grace gave his son Jesus for mankind's redemption he made all things for the praise of his glory and intends for man in particular to live in fellowship with himself somebody say hallelujah the the sovereignty of god gives christians hope 
The sovereignty of God. This is God the Father. God the Father is sovereign over everything, everywhere. If you've, if you've been around this church for longer than five minutes, you have heard us talk about how much we love the sovereignty of God. We believe that God is in control. Not just that God is in control, but he also loves us. Meaning he takes all suffering, all pain, anything that comes into our life. God is sovereign enough or powerful over the universe enough to take any suffering and leverage it for our good so that any amount of suffering that you go through is never wasted. So we believe in the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God the Father as he works with God the Son and God the Spirit. Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ is God the Son, the second member of the Trinity. He is fully God and fully man, yet one Christ. That is also known as the hypostatic union. Through him, for him, and by him, everything was created, and he holds everything together. He was born of a virgin, lived sinlessly, and voluntarily died on the cross for our sins of mankind. We believe that our only redemption is found in his vicarious and substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. Somebody say amen. We believe that our justification is made sure by his bodily resurrection from the dead and his ascension into heaven. At the cross, Jesus not only died for our sins, but he also expiated the sins committed against us and defeated Satan and demons. Jesus is currently ruling in heaven in glory and will someday return to perfect the world. He is the head of the body, the church, and should be adored, loved, served, and obeyed by all. We believe that Jesus alone is our Savior. Jesus is our friend. Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is our protector. We love Jesus. We sing and praise Jesus because of what he has done, primarily what he did on the cross by, by living a perfect life and dying the death that we should have died in our place for our sins. Not only does he propitiate, meaning he removes the wrath of God from us, but he also expiates, meaning the sins that you have committed and the sins that have been committed against against you, that's also washed away by his blood. And so for these reasons, we love him. For these reasons, we adore him. For these reasons, we say, whatever you want me to do, Jesus, I'll do. I turn my whole life over to you. That's what it means to be a Christian, to turn your whole life over to Jesus. The Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit is equal with the Father and the Son. He is the third member of the Trinity. We believe that the Holy Spirit has always been at work in the world, beginning with his participation in creation. The Spirit has come to glorify the Son, and apart from Him, there is no way to come to saving faith in Christ. He triumphs over our resistance. He wakens the dead and removes our blindness in order that we might come to the salvation for the glory of the Father and the Son. The Spirit lives in every Christian from the moment of salvation. Mm -hmm. Convicting us of sin, enabling us to love and obey God, and providing spiritual gifts to every believer, if you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit has done a work in your life. If you love Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to have a life that honors and glorifies Jesus, then the Holy Spirit has invaded in your life. He has removed the scales from your eyes. He has taken your dead heart and given you a, a living heart so that you might say, Abba, Father. That's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, that's what he does. Not only does he do that, not only does he bring us to saving faith, but he also indwells us at the moment of salvation. So some people believe that there is a subsequent filling after salvation. We don't believe in that. We don't th believe that's what the Bible teaches. When you become a Christian, you're filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment. And not only is he indwelling in you, but he's also giving you spiritual gifts to live out 
the Christian life. The fall of creation and man. I'm doing good on time. I can't believe myself. Here we go. We believe that all people are created in the image and the likeness of God. We believe that being made in his image, mankind's thoughts, works, and relationships are to resemble God's. In regards to the most important of human relationships, marriage is to reflect Christ's relationship with his church and to work within his design. We believe that God's design for marriage revealed in the Bible is to be a covenant between one man and one woman. All other definitions or alternative manifestations of marriage are outside of God's design and therefore sinful. That's very controversial in, our, in the world that we live in, but we believe that's what the Bible teaches, so there it is. We believe we inherit sin from the original sin of our father, Adam, and we continue to sin actively throughout our lives. Because of this fall, we are totally depraved and unable, unable to remedy our condition. We are, as humans, incapable, I said incapable of choosing to love, follow, or worship God, we are sinful, and it is this sin that makes us enemies of God. Our sin demands punishment of death by God, and it required the perfect sacrifice of Jesus as payment. In addition, we believe that God has subjected creation to futility because of the fall of humanity and its continual sin, and every day of life is a merciful reprieve from the rightful judgment we deserve. We have been accused at Gospel Community Church of talking too much about sin and talking too much about the wrath of God. We have received that criticism uh, several, several times. And here's what I say to that criticism. Yes, we do talk about sin. We believe humans are sinful. We believe that we deserve the wrath of God because of our sinfulness. And we don't talk about these things all the time because we have low self-esteem. Rather, as we understand how sinful we are, as we understand how we deserve the wrath of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes more and more beautiful and more glorious. If you see how dark the night was, it helps us appreciate how beautiful the light of day is. And so we believe that man has fallen and Jesus is the only answer. Salvation. Salvation is the free gift of God and is provided by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. We believe that before the foundations of the earth were laid, God predestined some for salvation. We believe that God's election is an unconditional act of grace, which was given through his son, Jesus. Also, those whom God has chosen will unfailingly come to salvation in Christ. In doing so, we believe God never sins and does not condemn someone unjustly. Upon salvation, one becomes a new creation. God will continuously mature the Christian until the end of his life. This process is also known as sanctification. We believe that those who truly trust in Jesus cannot and will not lose their salvation. This perseverance is the promise of the new covenant obtained by his blood of Christ and worked in us by God himself. We are proudly and unashamedly reformed in our soteriology, meaning our view of salvation is a monergistic view of salvation. Let me explain the difference between synergistic and monergistic. Synergistic meaning this, um, uh, you were searching for God, 
God reached out his hand and said, I will save you if only you reach up and grab my hand and you say, I want to be saved. You reach up and grab the hand of God and he pulls you out of the path of destruction. That's synergism. We don't believe that the scripture teaches that. What we believe the scripture teaches is a monergistic view of salvation, meaning we were running away the opposite direction from God. We didn't want to be with God. We didn't want to know nothing about God. We didn't care about his laws, his rules, what he asked us to do. And God ignored our will in love and reached out and snatched our sinful behinds up, washed us up and made us clean. So, so, it, it's the, so this, this is the picture. The picture is your child is, is walking towards the highway and, and you say, come back, turn, don't go in the high, turn around, no, no, no. And you, so what you do as a loving parent is then you ignore their will and you snatch their little behind away from the Mack truck that was, that was coming down the road. Now, th- this is troubling for some people because many people believe that they chose God. And it is true that you do choose God, but it's only when the Holy Spirit it does the work of making you alive to God, then that is when you choose him. This is also troubling for people because they believe that this this cancels out evangelism. If God is the one who saves someone from beginning to end, then why would you ever preach the gospel? Well, you preach the gospel because people don't walk around with a shirt that says God's future elect. People don't have those shirts. And so anyone who comes in here, as a matter of fact, if you've sat through the end of one of our services, every single Sunday during our response time, you know what we do? We give an opportunity for you to respond to Jesus. We actually say, follow Jesus today, choose to follow him. Why in the world would we say that if we believe God saves? Well, we would say that because if you do follow Jesus, it's because he first chose you. He he has done a work in your heart. God has made you alive to him. And now that you're alive to him, you can choose to follow him. So, again, uh, some people, I'll make this distinction real quick because I got, I got a little bit of time. Some, some people will say, are you guys a Calvinist church? Well, we find that definition unhelpful. We prefer to say we are reformed in our soteriology. We believe what the reformers taught. Again, I would say we believe what the Apostle Paul taught about salvation. We believe what Jesus taught about um, salvation. So th- this should not be unnerving to us. I, I think it, it's also people love to say, oh, I believe God's in control. What about your salvation? Oh, no, no, I was in control of that. Uh, well, h- hang on now. Hang- if God's in control, then, then let's let God be in control. Again, if, if, this, if this is difficult for you, troubling for you uh, there in your new members packet, you'll see a big old long list of verses, uh, and, and that goes for every one of these statements of faith. There's a big long list of verses. I encourage you to go and, and read those verses so you will know for sure that I'm not just making this up, that this is truly what the Bible says. Let's talk about sanctification. Sanctification is the inward leading to an outward spiritual growth of all true believers. The Holy Spirit will actively change our desires and motivations, propelling us into further and further grace-driven obedience to Scripture. Every moment of the believer's life will be in continual repentance and battling with sin under grace of Bible study, prayer, worship, and confession. The believer's mind is renewed daily, and over the course of his life, a believer will find himself more and more conformed to the image of Christ. We will grow in our attempts to live in such a way that people might see good works that point towards the glory of Christ. Sanctification is progressive and a continual work until either one, Jesus return, returns to perfect and restore creation, or two, we taste the first death and Christ calls us home 
to, uh, perfect, to be perfected in heaven. Here's the thing. If, if you became a Christian, maybe in high school or college, and you have not been growing in Christ, you've not been growing in, in your love for him, you've not been engaging in the word of God, you've not connected with a body, a local body of believers and been growing in your faith, I would say that your salvation is suspect. And the reason, the reason that I say that um, is because we live in, in the South, and, and what tends to happen in, in the South is that people, yeah, I mean, I, I prayed a prayer with my pastor back, you know, 20 years ago, like, well, do you love Jesus today? Is that evident in your life? Do you read your Bible? Are you dedicated to, to God? Is this something that's important? Well, not, not really. I, I mean, I, I signed the card so I wouldn't go to hell. That's, that's basically the, the end of it. And again, I would say the Bible teaches that if you are a Christian in name only, then your salvation is suspect. There's no such thing as somebody who is a Christian in name only. Your life will necessarily reflect it. It is not as if those works save you, but those works show that you are saved. Let's talk about the ordinances. While we adhere to to believer's baptism in which a believer is someone who understands the decision they are making and of their own desire is baptized. So we do not practice paedo-baptism here. We believe baptism by immersion is the most biblically faithful model to follow. Baptism is a picture of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and is useful public demonstration that indicates that you are a believer. We affirm that you need only be baptized once upon understanding and receiving faith in Jesus. In addition, we also adhere to observing the Lord's Supper. We believe the bread is a picture of Christ's body that was broken for us, and the wine is a picture of Christ's blood that was shed on the cross in our place for our sins. We do this to proclaim and to remember him until his death, until he returns. Those are the two ordinances uh, which which we believe are faithful uh, and biblical in the church, that is believers, baptism by full submersion, uh, and the Lord's Supper. You'll you'll see, obviously, you guys have been around for a little while, you know that we practice the Lord's Supper every week because Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, which that service shows, uh, is so dear uh, to us. Eternity. We believe that every human being will die and will stand before God and be judged. After judgment, Christians go immediately into the presence of Jesus in a perfected state. When non-Christians die and are judged, they go to a place of punishment and eternal conscious torment in a place called hell. We believe, as the Bible promises, that uh, that Christ will visibly return at a time which no man knows, and he will rule over all things. This includes the new heaven, the new earth, and hell. In the end, Jesus will establish his perfect kingdom forever. The Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That means that some will be bowing the knee and confessing the name of Christ as his friend. Sadly, some will be bowing the knee and confessing the name of Christ as his foe. And there is a clear distinction. God draws a line right down the middle. These are my children who have confessed my name. These are not my children. They have rejected me. And this is what the Bible teaches about eternity and what will happen in the end. Let's talk about the church. We believe in one universal church, meaning that there is one church comprised of all believers everywhere throughout all of history. We believe that the Christian's overarching mission is to glorify God and make disciples. This mission is accomplished through the context of the local church. We believe that the church is the body of Christ, and it will therefore gather regularly for worship together, sit under biblical teaching, observe the sacraments, and evangelize to the lost. 
The church will administer and guide loving ministry to the outsider, the weak, the needy. The church will administer loving, reconciling discipline to its members, drawing all men and women into lives that are obedient to God's created order. We believe all Christians are to be in covenant community with a local body of believers. We believe that a believer will submit to biblical teaching and to the leadership of the church in order to be in covenant. Nowhere in the New Testament, I'm talking about zero, none, not at all times in the New Testament, do you see a Christian that is not connected to a local body of believers? It's not in there. Go read your New Testament. The New Testament has in mind that every Christian everywhere will be a member of a local church. This is the body of Christ. If you are connected to Christ, then you are connected to the body of Christ. If you're connected to the body of Christ, then you are in a local church. That's how that, that's how that works. Okay, now, we did it. Can you believe it? We made it all the way through the statement of faith. I'm, I'm shocked and awed by the fact that we have done this. So again, I, I want to remind you of those two things which I reminded you at the beginning. First and foremost, this is th- these are our close-handed issues. There's, there's many things that we didn't discuss. Those are open-handed issues and, and up for debate. And so what, what you're going to see here is that by signing your covenant, you're signing that, yes, I, I believe this. Again, if you want to, uh, in the new member, if you are a new member and want to come into membership with the church, you will have an opportunity in your uh, new member's interview to ask any questions or ask clarification on any of these doctrines which, which are there. Uh, if you have questions or like, when, when you say this, what do you mean there? Um, that'll be a great time for you to ask those questions. And again, we are open to, to have any of those questions asked there. But at the end of the day, this is what unites us. If we learned anything about 2020, 2020 was the year of division and dividing, was it not? This was folks yelling at one another, pick your side. Where are you at on masks? Pick your side. Where are you at on politics? Pick your side. This was people trying to divide. And so what we must do as a church is remind ourselves of what we are united in. Are we united in politics, church family? Oh, no, 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 we are certainly not. That is not what unites us whatsoever. And so no matter what's going on in 2020 or the craziness that's already happening in 2021, we're not worried about that. That's not to say that it's unimportant, but what it is to say is that what we believe about the Bible is more important. Okay, so what unites us is bigger and greater than anything going on in our world last year or this year. Amen. I'm going to say that again because somebody should have stood straight up and hollered amen. What unites us is bigger and more powerful and more important than anything that happened in 2020 or 2021. Okay, and so this is us coming together and saying, this is what we believe the Bible says. This is what we believe about Jesus. This is what we believe about the Holy Spirit. This is what we believe about the church. And this is what draws us together and unites us together. It's not our race. It's not our socioeconomic background. It's not what you believe about the pandemic. It's none of that stuff. And so what we can do is set all that stuff aside and say, what we believe about this is actually way more important. It's not that those other things are unimportant. It's that this is is way more important. And so we set those other things aside and realize that this is what unites us. It's the banner of Jesus that unites us. It's the gospel that unites us. So that so that the apostles, the prophets, and the teachers are preaching the word of God to equip the saints for the work of the ministry as they engage in the life of the church and as they get matured up in Christ so that we're building one another up in love. 
Isn't that what the Bible says? Isn't that what the Bible, I just want to close. I want to close by reading this section of scripture again because it is so important. It's the vision of the church from the scriptures. Just listen to it again. And he, that is Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Do you want to continue to be children, church family? No, we don't want to continue to be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cutting, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, this is us. I want this to be us, church family. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May that be so of Gospel Community Church. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for doctrine. We thank you for theology. We are grateful that you have given us your word, your word that instructs us, your word that teaches us. Lord, may we bow under the truth and authority of your word. Lord, I pray now that as we move into 2021, uh, that we would be a people united in love, united in the gospel, united in our theology and doctrine, so that we may begin the process of building one another up in love. Make Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 true of Gospel Community Church. It will be a work of your Holy Spirit if it happens. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.